Hey guys, and welcome back. So this is part two of the two-part series on our interview with Canadian professional triathlete, Frank Sorbera. So if you're just coming here, then be sure to first tune into part one. And if you've already listened to part one, sit back, enjoy, and let's get into part two. Let's talk a bit about you again. Do you, you have a coach or are you, have you always been self-coached or what's your coaching background? Uh, so right now at the moment, I'm 100% self-coached. So I had for a couple years there, I was getting coached on the swim, but I just found it was a little bit a little bit difficult to to kind of split things up like that where one person is is handling the swim and then I'm coaching myself on the bike and the run so I just found it was a little bit tough kind of integrating things into one another so like you know if if you have something planned for you swim wise on the day but you know I was kind of thinking about something else bike and run so for me I just kind of wanted that control of everything so that I could have my day kind of go more a little bit more smoothly and, and do what kind of I wanted to do on the day but having said that, I wouldn't, you know, rule out coaching. Like I'm not, I'm not against coaching uh, in any way. Like for sure, I'm, you know, it would be difficult for me to to completely hand the reins over to somebody. Like I have, I have my opinions and and, and what I want to do. So you know, there would have to be some discussion on on things like that on on various parts of the training plan or schedule or whatever. But um, I, like I, I wouldn't rule it out entirely. But I mean, with that, if I was getting coached by someone, I would want to have it so that there's some way that I can interact with that person face to face on a daily basis. And, and the reason being because I, I want to have somebody that, you know, if they see me every single day, then they could kind of pick up on the subtleties, you know, if, you know, I'm showing a little bit of signs of fatigue or weaknesses and stuff like that, because I think if you're if you're just doing it through say training peaks or something like that, I think sometimes you know you can make let's let's say for the swim for example, you can make a pace time and and hit the the pace time or even on the bike you can hit the power that you were assigned to hit. But did you feel really good at that or like you know were you really struggling to hit that power? So sometimes like I would want something for sure where the person can actually see me up close and, and see how I'm getting along with, with various workouts and stuff. Now, how do you balance trap on with your busy life schedule? Uh, so right now it's actually a little bit easier. Uh, cause, uh, like this is just my full-time, full-time gig here. Uh, really triathlon triathlon is my life right now. So like other than, other than, you know, training, planning, training, uh, recovering from training, all that stuff, uh, there's, there's not too much else, uh, else going on. But having said that I, I have had for sure, like when I was at McMaster for physio there, that was a extremely intense and stressful program on its own. But even with that, I was still able to put up 25 hour training weeks consistently and actually sometimes even go over, over the 30 hours a week. I mean, and with that, what that just meant was you had to be really good at time management and uh you know you had to wake up early a lot of times and uh go to bed late studying and actually a lot of what i remember from my masters is is running to and from the gym you know in between classes to get in a swim or to get in a weight training session or something like that but uh you know i'd always show up to class one second before it started so i'd always make sure i was just on time that's perfect yeah, and I think that's that's huge, and I, that's why I wanted to bring that up. I want to point out to people that uh, time management is so huge because one of the biggest 
things that people say is they don't have enough time, which I, I totally understand everyone's schedule is going to be completely different, but I do feel people should have some time in there that they can sort of rearrange things to make it happen. If that's something that they're passionate about and they, and they want to complete. So it's yeah. good to hear. Yeah. You were super busy, stressful, and you still made it work. You just kind of had to be. Yeah. And, and I mean, we're, we might talk about this in, in a couple questions here, but you know, that's where I think the indoor training is like a huge thing to have because, you know, for biking, you know, you don't have to go out on, you know, a three or four hour ride, you know, you can get it you can get a huge amount of fitness in on, on Zwift or trainer road or any of those guy uh, training platforms, you know, in less than an hour and, and you can have a great workout on them. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, Zwift has been a huge lifesaver for me. So yeah. now talking about costs now, example, we we're just talking about the Norma tech recovery boots, um, disc wheels and the expenses going along with triathlon. How do you deal with the high costs of the triathlon sport? Do sponsorships help you on this or how, how do pros kind of get by? So at the moment on the equipment side of things, I'm lucky enough to have some very generous sponsors right now. Um, not everything's finalized, but like with Tri Sports, Revolver, and Zone 3, for instance, you know, they've, they've helped me a lot over the last couple of years. So like my, you know, my wheels and wetsuits didn't end up costing me anything through sponsorship. And then, you know, the recurring, the Tri Sports, with tri sports, it's it's really good for a lot of those recurring costs. So like, you know, getting new chains or new tires and stuff like that. Tri sports is able to help me a lot, a lot with that stuff. And and I really have to say, on honestly, tri sports has been really the best customer service I've I've ever experienced. Like they they've gone so far as like when you know a couple of years ago I was or I think it was yeah a year and a half ago or so I was building up a road bike and. Tri Sports was available to talk with me over the phone to speak me through, like talk me through certain steps in the process of, of, of building up this bike since I had never done that before. And I mean, like even with little things, like when I put in an order for something, I remember there was a time I put in an order for uh, some type of gels or something like that. And I remember someone from Tri Sports actually emailed me and let me know that they had just tried one of the flavors that I put in an order for and didn't like it. So maybe I should think about going, you know, to the lemon lime flavor of whatever it was or something like that. And to me, like that was next level, you know, customer service and, and care that they showed me. Yeah, that's, that's, that's perfect. That's awesome customer service. Now with all these sponsorships, you've obviously came to final sort of triathlon kit setup with your gear, um, your, your kit and everything. So what's your setup? What wheels do you have? What cranks and helmet? Right. All that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so not a lot of my stuff really hasn't changed too much from last year. So I'm still on the uh, Cervelo P53. It's a 48 centimeter frame. I think, like most, uh, we're waiting for the the P5 disc uh, disc brake to come out. Uh, I'd be open to getting that once it comes along. But for the moment, it's the P53 here. So with the P53, it has the uh, it doesn't have like that the integrated brake on the fork in the front, so it's a little bit. It's a UCI legal frame, and yeah, so it's um, I have the tri rig brake there on the front, so I don't think I end up losing really anything in terms of you know the the P five sixes fork versus the three with the tri rig brake. Most of the stuff, like I said, is is similar to last year, and really where I made the most changes on that bike is is probably in the front end, where although it has the same uh, base bar, like the 3T base bar and stem there, 
I have the, I raised my hands up a little bit last year to go into what's called the, the mantis riding position. And so with that, I got the 35 degree uh, drag to zero carbon extensions. And they have actually a 10 degree adapter for the hands as well. It just kind of lets your, your wrist rest in a little bit more of a neutral position. And then to go along with that, the Revolver Ergomantis armrests. And, and what those do is, uh, I think they're pretty brilliant. They have kind of a raised, a raised back and a raised side to them. So that uh, your elbows rest really well into them when you're in that higher hand position. And then having the raised back actually just gives you some leverage to kind of push off of when you're in the time trial position. So you can kind of use... Uh, you kind of use the power from your upper body to generate power forward momentum. So yeah, that's the front setup. And then I actually have a pretty cool 3d printed Garmin mount uh, that went on the drag to zero bars as well. Uh, for wheels, I have revolver ASIM FWS disc and that's uh, tubular. And on the front is the zip 454 clincher. And I would actually like the front, I like them to be both one and the same. So because it's a bit of a pain having one clincher, one tubular in terms of, uh, you know, what things to bring in uh, for fixing flats and, and whatnot. But at this point, no problems with them. Uh, so I mean, I'll, I'll stick with the same setup. It's 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 working for me. And then for, uh, yeah, for tires, if you want to get into that, I have um, zip tangente speed, or GP5000s on the way to go on the front and the back. I kind of roll the dice a little bit and go with the, the Vittoria Corsa Speed, which is it's an incredibly fast tubular, but uh, is not doesn't have a huge amount of puncture protection in it. But so far, no flat, so I'm okay with it. I'm going to continue riding it. For the group set, it's, it's all um, SRAM ETAP, and then the only other little change to it is the... Um, Instead of just the normal SRAM chain rings, I have the Osymmetric chain rings, and those are uh, 5236. So with that, the 52 kind of, uh, because the Osymmetric chain rings are so oval, the 52 kind of acts like a 55, so it acts like a bigger gear. Pedals, Speedplay, Aero Zero Titanium pedals, which were uh, Tri-Sports hooked me up with those. And then I reached out to Bont last year and got a pair of the... Um, Bont Zero Plus uh, shoes to go with that. The only the only change that I, I've made to the bike, I say only, but it's kind of a significant change, is right now on I have coming in on the way the uh, a new uh, crank. So right now I've been running a SRAM Red Cork power meter. It's a 170 mil crank arm. But because I've been having so many back and hip issues over the years, I figure it's time for me to go down to uh, a shorter crank. So I have on the way 162.5 millimeter crank. And that's also also from Tri-Sports. Yeah, so that's the, the bike setup. And then on the um, swim, I have the Victory wetsuit. And if it's warmer, but with the Vanquish, both of those are from zone three. And then the run, I haven't used them in a race yet. But at the moment, I see no reason why not. Uh, I'll, I would be using the Nike 4% Vaporfly. They're by far the fastest shoes I've ever worn. The only the only race I, I probably wouldn't race them in would be if I was to do 70.3 Victoria again, just because the stack height's a little bit high on them. So I would rather go with something a little bit lower down. Yes, and then yeah, for um, training, I'm all Nike. So I have Pegasus 35 or Pegasus Turbo. And then for speedier workouts or long runs, I go with the Zoom Fly.
Awesome. So it's funny you mentioned that uh, you went through the same thing I did. So I actually, I dropped down from a 175 down to a 170 crank set. Now, um, two quick questions sort of going off that. Do you find you will change crank sets based off if it's a hilly course or if it's a flat course or do you just sort of keep one throughout the season and, and just keep riding? Like the, the chain rings, you mean? Like yeah. the size of the gear ratio? Yeah. Uh, right now I have I haven't really experimented too much with that. I would say I would change more th- like the cassette in the back on very on on one race or the other. So right now I have the SRAM Red cassette in eleven twenty eight, but I also have one in eleven twenty three. So you know if I was to do you know say Barrelman or something this year a dead flat course, I'd definitely go with the eleven twenty three just to make the uh, changes between the gears a little bit less significant. Uh, but like eleven twenty eights pretty good in general like it's gonna you know you you really wouldn't have to change it unless you're really nitpicky about things because the 1128 covers big range for sure right right now the other question i have when you're talking about the uh the new setup you have on your bike for the, the front end when you come or when you have been working on the time trial position sort of getting getting low and getting in aerodynamic have you been bike fit in order to find out where you fit best or do you just sort of go off years of experience and what feels more natural for you so uh, yeah i worked a couple times over the last few years with um chris from enduro sport here in toronto He's, he's an amazing, amazing, amazing fitter. So he kind of did all the, you know, the heavy lifting in terms of my fit, but kind of these little changes that I've made, this was more, this was a li- just a little bit more comfortable for me. It really didn't change a huge amount in terms of, you know, for example, like where, like how he's positioned my cleats and seat and all that stuff. But um, it, it just made a, made a little bit more comfortable, comfortable for me, like kind of upper body wise. Uh, and so I did that kind of just by playing around with it on my own a little bit. And then also actually I had my wheel sponsor there, uh, Revolver Wheels, Harry Walker, who's the um, CEO of that company and uh, does a huge amount of stuff for that company. But yeah, uh, he, I reached out to him last February or so, and he was able to give me some advice on my fit. Uh, just based on looking at pictures of me through email. So like he told me to raise my hands up by a certain amount, uh, narrow my elbow pads by a, a certain amount and stuff. And he actually is a phenomenal, phenomenal time trialist himself. Like he, he's won British national titles and stuff like that going pa- back a number of years and, and still racing at an incredibly high level. If you, I mean, if you look up just revolver wheels on Instagram, you'll see his his bike setup and he has the most aerodynamic fit and, and setup I've, I've ever seen in my entire life. So, I mean, he's a good, good person to get advice from. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely be checking that out. Cause that's always something I, you always wonder seeing all the professionals in different aero positions, but it comes down to what works for them and a little bit of uh, testing over the years, I guess. So being a professional triathlete, do you receive free entry into races or in saying that also, do you have to compete in a certain amount of races to continue as a pro yeah, so you don't. Uh, it's at the beginning of the year. You have an option. You can you can buy a a full membership, full pro license. Like after you've obviously, like we talked about, qualified for that, then you go with with that uh, criteria. And and once you've got your international competition card from Triathlon Canada through the criteria we talked about, then you have to apply for your pro license with Ironman. And with Ironman, you can pay twelve. I think it's around twelve hundred dollars for the year. And with that, you can race in as many races as you can. There's no set number uh, that you need to race in, but 
yeah, so you can as many races as you want and it doesn't cost you any, anything on top of the initial memberships fee. Um, the other option that you can do is a single race license. Uh, so I believe that's around four to five hundred dollars. But I mean, if you're going to race at least two times, then you're you're going to make you know it's a no-brainer to go with the full membership. But you can actually race. You can get a single race license, I believe, and then use um, have that five hundred dollars uh, go into your pro membership if you decide to then go with the full license. So you can have it, you know, be twelve hundred minus the five hundred you've already paid. So do you ever think you'll f end up doing a full distance Ironman or ever try to compete for a spot in Kona? Yeah, for sure. The full would be on my radar. It's, um, it'd be sometime in the next couple of years, I hope. Um, but I'm not gonna, not gonna rush it. I'd like to, you know, nail the 70.3 distance first and, and also put a good consistent stretch of running in without, without getting any injuries before really targeting full Ironman training. I mean, as I think every triathlete dreams of, of competing in Kona. So uh, for sure, that'd be a big goal of mine. And then, I mean, Ironman Lanzarote would actually also be on my list because that bike course just looks absolutely brutal and it looks like an amazing challenge to take on. So obviously, by the sounds of this podcast, you've, you race a lot, like ton of races every year. And obviously, you've kind of been all around. You've been in Europe, you've been Canada, North America, everywhere. So obviously you won't be running the same people as frequently, but are there people in Ontario that you frequently run into at races that you consider um, sort of friendly competition or your biggest competitors? Uh, so, I mean, at this point, like I've raced a lot, but I wouldn't say I have any, uh, you know, in triathlon, at least any kind of rivalries with anybody. But I mean, here in Ontario, I mean, if you're racing any triathlon here in Ontario, you're going to run into and race uh, Jesse the Elf there. He races, I think, like he races like every single weekend there in the summer. So, um, you know, if I'm racing in Ontario, he'll he'll usually be at, at, at those races. But yeah, I, I, outside of Ontario, I wouldn't say I, I, I you know, I'm frequently running into the same people over and over. Uh, just cause, actually, because like you said, like it's I, I, right now I've, you know, I raced in Europe. I raced here back in Europe and... and uh, even in China and stuff like that. So um, you're getting kind of a, a mix of, of people every single time, a different mix. So do you ever see any, or sir, do you, do you have any um, people that are influential to you in triathlon? Like who's your, who's your biggest motivation and do you end up seeing them at, at races? Uh, so in triathlon, I'd have to go with Lionel Sanders. I've, I've met him once in person, just in Penticton there. We spoke uh, a little bit before, the uh, award ceremony and stuff after the race. But I mean, like, I, I just, I, I love his attitude and, you know, kind of his, his approach to things. And, and I've been, you know, religiously reading his, his blog posts over past several years. Um, and actually I even raced him once in 2013. Both of us were in uh, the Mississauga half marathon, but uh, yeah, so I, I had been following him for years and I feel like I can really relate to him just listen to how he, he speaks about some things um, and his approach to things. So just kind of like how he goes full on into things and, and, and commits fully to things, you know, like we talked about with triathlon, I can relate to that just because, you know, I, I didn't, you know, test out the waters here in triathlon while, you know, working as a physio or anything like that. I, I dropped everything and committed 24 hours a day to it. So I, I can relate to him a lot in that. And, and um, 
like I said, I just I, I love his 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 attitude of, you know, kind of doing this for very pure reasons. And that is as like his his tagline there of, of uh, no limits, right to, to push your limits. So I, I he, he's a big source of motivation for sure for me. Yeah, he's he's honestly he's incredible to watch and a huge influencer, I think, to many Canadians as triathletes. He's another Canadian guy as well. So it's awesome to have him sort of represent us. Now, anyone who's actually listening and hasn't watched Lionel Sanders' YouTube videos, that's definitely something you got to put on your to-do list. He's oh, yeah. got a series of videos now, and it's it's amazing to watch. So if you have yeah. some time, that's I'd awesome. say if you're if you're ever like you know before a uh, training session, you're like, ah, eh, you know, I don't really want to do that. Just pop on one of those. I think it's the um, Ironman Mount Tremblant training block part one. Watch that bike scene from that video and you'll be, you'll be going. All right. So you competed in 2018, uh, a pretty solid season. So what races did you race within that year and how did you place overall in those? Right. So I think for me, 2018 was a, it was an okay pro season. You know, there, there are definitely some performances and stuff I, I'm, I'm very proud of, but I think just the, how it, it, it ended a little bit kind of poorly for me just with injuries and, and stuff like that. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking to uh, get back on terms in, in 2019 and, and make up for that for sure. But uh, in, in 2018, I started out, my first pro race was uh, Marbella 70.3. That's in uh, south of Spain there. It was a little bit of intimidating of a start line. There was, uh, I think, 60 pros on the start list. Uh, including some really big heavy hitters. So, I mean, it was it was an uh, intimidating start to things. And there, I mean, I actually had a, a good swim. I had a great run there. I ran, I think, 116 high off the bike. But with that race, it was just a little too technical of a bike course for me. But having said that, it was, I mean, it was an incredibly challenging bike course. If you want a hard bike course, that's the one. Like Andreas Dreitz, who's or in that race, he's, he was, he's one of the best best bikers in the entire sport. And he biked, I think, 221. So, I mean, if he's biking that, then that tells you how hard of a course it is. Like, people, nobody is, you know, in a lot of races now, you see people going sub two. Sub two was not not in the cards on that course. It's not even close to it. But, uh, yeah, then went uh, to Baden Duathlon. It's done by Run Waterloo. I had, uh, I won that race. Then on to um, Victoria 70.3. Again, it was, it was actually a pretty good swim and good run but some work to do on the bike. And then from there, I went to ITU Worlds in Denmark in the long distance. Uh, a couple weeks later, did Challenge Prague. Then I had a really good stretch here in the summertime where I won uh, Aurelia Sprint, Guelph 2, and Lakeside back-to-back-to-back um, and had fastest bike run in all, all three of those. And then I went to China. I got an amazing opportunity to go to China in September and race uh, the Changsha International Triathlon there. Unfortunately, I didn't perform that great in that race, and I was supposed to be racing the 70.3 the next weekend in another uh, city in China, uh, but when we landed at that race, we learned that the, the race ended up being canceled. And I'd say the vast majority of people, Ironman was amazing through this whole thing, and they did an amazing job accommodating for all the athletes to help us with expenses and stuff like that of getting to this race that ended up being canceled and helping us out get flights back home or really wherever we wanted to go but i'd say from the vast majority of all like all the other athletes who went to this race just 
went back home. Uh, for me, I didn't perform as well as I, I thought I should have the, the week before there in, in Changsha. So I wanted to make up for that performance right away. So Iron Man worked with me throughout the night and it was like a, a crazy uh, 48 hours or I, I actually don't know how long it would have been with all the time zone changes and stuff like that. But uh, they got me a, a spot on the start line at Weymouth 70.3, uh, which was in the south of England the following weekend. So I went there and unfortunately I was kind of, you know, all packed up and stuff like all the stuff I had packed was for China. And so I, I just, I just wasn't ready for what, you know, mother nature threw at us that day. It was brutal. Doesn't do it justice. It was, it was pouring rain, freezing cold. And we had force 10 like gale force winds uh, ripping across the course. So it ended up that I was shivering before I even got in the water really. Um, and things didn't get much better on the bike. Eventually, I think probably 30 minutes into the bike, I was just, I was shaking so much that I, I couldn't control the bike anymore. And I was, I was starting to kind of lose it a little bit around turns. And it wasn't, it wasn't so much that I stopped like pedaling or anything like that and, and, and quit. It was, I, I kind of rolled to a stop around one of the corners because I, I physically couldn't pedal the bike anymore. And there was a volunteer nearby there. And I, I just, I, I said to them, I barely could speak. I was so cold, but I, I just said, I need some help. I'm, I'm freezing right now. Unfortunately, it ended up having, that race had the second highest DNF rate of all time. So because of all of kind of the mayhem that was going around the course, it took almost three hours for uh, help to come get me. So I was kind of just in a very nice person's van with the, the heat crank to full blast, just shivering kind of until help came to get me. But um, after that, and this is, is something that I'm kind of going to work on going into 2019, is being patient with things and not trying to make, make up for things all at once. So with kind of the disappointment there in Weymouth, I came back home and I said, well, I got road to hope marathon coming up so i'm just gonna i'm gonna throw everything i got into that but i just pushed a little bit too hard unfortunately and got injured right before and so i had to pull out of that race and once again with the disappointment from that then i said i'm gonna make up for this it's okay and i pushed very hard to train for another couple 70.3s indian wells la quinta in california and challenge baja but again, I think maybe just pushed too hard and ended up getting a cold, which lasted almost two weeks or so, kind of in a critical spot of that, what would have been that the build up to that race. So I had to end up pulling, pulling the plug on, on those two races as well. So it was the, the last four months of that year really were, it was, it's a disappointing way to end, end a season for sure. But I mean, I needed to try to learn from that and, and something I'm, like I said, trying to take away from that is if you if you have a setback or you know a disappointing race or something like that you know to be patient and, and you know you don't have to make it all up at once because uh, when you when you do that then you know that can lead to other things uh you know and pushing too hard and whatnot right yeah and honestly looking back at that season that i don't know like that's that's an incredibly busy season like unbelievable to actually think that you had all those races so good on you but Obviously, unfortunate, like you said, how at the end it just kind of 
luck was on your side, but nonetheless, that's a, that's a huge, huge season. I, I couldn't believe that. Thank now, you. How did all this sort of shape your 2009-19 race season? Uh, what's your race season looking like? Have you planned all out yet? So, I mean, with, with the lessons I learned from, from that and something that I've really been kind of working on here these last few months is, is that I'm trying to be much more flexible with my season So and, and not trying to make, uh, like I think something I kind of got caught in last year was, was trying to make every single race you know, a, a, a epic race or like th- this was going to be the breakthrough race or, or, you know, this next race was going to be the breakthrough race or, or whatever. So with my 2019 season, I'm, I'm trying to be much more flexible with things. And also with that kind of come to terms with, if you want to say that, you know, I, I do get injuries and stuff like that. And I, I have been getting injuries over the last number of years. So building some uh, wiggle room or, or margin from margin for error into the season a little bit, I think will pay huge dividends and, and ultimately keep me healthier. So for instance, not having, you know, say I'm building towards, uh, say a marathon or something like that. And, you know, it's a, it's a 12 week, you know, you, you know, you know, it's going to take a 12 week build or so to build for that race. Well, maybe it's a better idea to sign up for a marathon than say, 15 weeks away or 14 weeks away because then by having that little bit of wiggle room in the schedule you know you don't feel so pressured to even if you're feeling a little bit sore or something like that to get out that next day and and kind of push it even more and then maybe get injured so having just that little bit of margin for error so you know if some tightness or soreness or anything comes up which it, it inevitably will I don't feel pressure to, to just go out, but I can instead take, you know, a few days. I can afford to take a few days off after and let that actually heal or even a week off and let that heal. So, I mean, with that, my 2019 schedule, everything's, everything's open. Nothing's set in stone. But, I mean, in terms of my kind of general idea on things, I am going to try to incorporate a lot more running races, like pure running races into my schedule just because actually some of the races do offer some half decent prize money. And I figure I'm, I'm good enough that in some of these smaller races, I can compete for that money. And that will help, like we talked about with some of these triathlon costs and, and traveling and whatnot. Uh, so in terms of kind of a rough schedule, I'm planning on doing uh, the Run Waterloo uh, either 8K or 8 miler. Not sure which distance yet. If if I'm not in as good shape, I'll probably go to the eight miler because it's not as quick as the eight K then. And that's February 10th. Then February 24th is the Peterborough half marathon. March 3rd, I'll probably do the 10 K at the Chile half. And then March 9th, originally I was going to be doing the, uh, I got on the elite start list for the rock and roll DC marathon, uh, for the full marathon distance. But I've had a little bit of a setback the last couple weeks here, so I'm ended up I'm going to switch into the half marathon for that, and that's kind of again being flexible with things. So I I don't need you know every single race to be the the an epic race, the you know the most important race in my career. It's okay, and I need to be patient with things, and it'll come. Um, and then actually March 21st, I have a very exciting race coming up on Zwift. It's going to be a team race with some money on the line, and it's going to be live streamed across every single social media platform. And then uh, 
April 13th, another very exciting race uh, is the Endure Race with Run Waterloo. They do a, a 5K going off at 4.30 and then an 8K going off at 6 p.m. Uh, so it's a nice like back-to-back. So it's, uh, that'll be a great test. In terms of triathlon, the first of the season is shaping up to be Challenge Cancun, and that's April 28th. And then after that, I don't think there's a, a weekend really where I'm not going to be racing in the summer between uh, doing running races and triathlon. So the June and July will be very busy. And then probably tail end of July into August, I'll take a little mid-season break, and then I'll see what, what happens in the fall. Awesome. So yeah, it sounds like a, sounds like a pretty methodical approach, but I think that's, I think that's awesome. I think it, it should shape up for a good year for you. And, uh, really curious to see, excited to see actually what sort of 70.3s you end up doing. Um, so it'll be a great season to follow for everyone who's kind of paying attention to that. Now, just talking back to March 21st, you said you have a Zwift team race. So kind yeah. of expand on that. So f- many people actually, including myself, I'm not too familiar with the like I'm familiar with Zwift, but not so much the team racing. So how did you get into this and sort of do you do many Zwift races? Yes. Yeah, so the, the one on March 21st, I can't say too, too many details specifically about the race just yet. Cause we, we not everything's been decided, uh, like, and finalized, uh, like in terms of like, you know, what courses and whatnot we're going to be doing, but essentially it's, um, it's going to be a, a five on five race. Um, with a team leader, each, each team will have, uh, a team leader, just like in, you know, tour de France or anything like that. And the other four will be basically working as domestique for that team leader to get them the win. And how I got into that was, so like you said, I, I, I race on Zwift pretty often, usually every single Wednesday, every week of on Wednesday, I, I, I race on Zwift and I actually have been building kind of my training around that actually. So I'll, I'll, I'll look at a certain race and, and see what course it is and stuff like that. And, you know, see, Oh, look, it's going to be like a six minute long climb or something like that. And I'll kind of build my week around priming myself to be able to perform well on that, you know, six minute effort. Um, so with, with this team race, what happened was I saw, I just happened to see kind of, you know, it just turned out this way that one of the team leaders who I knew was going to be in this race was competing in stage three of the Tour de Zwift that's going on right now. And I saw that they were in the race and I knew we had about a nine or 10 minute long climb to the finish in that race. And I didn't know if, you know, they had got their team organized or anything just yet, but I said, I'm going to you know, make it hard for them not to, not to pick me to work for them on the team. So what I did was, you know, I sat in the pack the whole race. And then once we got onto that nine minute, nine or 10 minute long climb, I gave everything I absolutely had and completely shattered my 10 minute power uh, best. I ended up doing 360 watts for the nine minutes and 30 seconds. So it's over, over six watts per kilogram on that. Um, So I, I went very, very hard on it. But after that, I, I just messaged him and he ended up coming actually the position right behind me. And I messaged him and said, I'd, l- I'd like to work for you on this team. And so we've been going back and forth through uh, emails over the last couple of weeks. And 
uh, everything's getting organized for that uh, for that race, uh, and I'm very excited to uh, to do that. It's it's going to be incredibly dynamic, and I think the team aspect of it's just going to make it even more interesting. Just because you know maybe I can I can you know put huge power on on this section, but you know I have to keep. Uh, my teammates in mind and, you know, work well as a team because ultimately it's going to be the fastest team that, that, you know, works together best. That's going to win. Awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. So it's, it's really cool to see how things are sort of, sort of shifting over to that uh, virtual racing. I think that's huge. And like we said earlier with the time management and sort of the comfortability of uh, being able to do it at home, sort of on your, on your bike, on your trainer, and then do it as a team. I think that's, that's phenomenal. So do you see Swift sort of becoming a even bigger thing or virtual racing in general being a bigger thing in the next several years? Yeah, I think it's going to be huge. And I mean, even uh, I think just yesterday here, January 23rd, um, it was, you know, a big, a huge step, for for Zwift because they did the first ever Kiss uh, Pro League race. Um, so I mean, with this, you have pro. It's actually like a professional league now competing on Zwift with various um, pro level continental teams and, uh, competing against one another on Zwift. And I mean, I think actually Zwift. I've heard that they've been petitioning to get into the Olympics. And I mean, really, I, I don't see any reason why why Zwift shouldn't be in the Olympics. It's it's a cycling event, um, and while being very similar to cycling, Zwift also has its own kind of nuances and, and strategy and and skill that's required to really excel in it. Um, so I, I don't see why it wouldn't be in the Olympics uh, in you know say twenty twenty four or something like that. And I think it's gonna be it's gonna be great. Awesome. Yeah, that's cool to hear. Hopefully that, that, that'll shape out. That'd be awesome to see in the, in the Olympics. Now we've talked about your 2018 season and we've discussed your 2019 season. Now, do you have any sort of race goals of the next couple of seasons going forward? Like, is there sort of that benchmark that you want to hit at a particular race? Yeah. So I think my, my, my main goal, I, like I'm not th- this year in particular, I'm not going to be as like kind of, you know, results foc- focus. It's more, I'm going to be focusing on the process. And, and with that, my goal is to just be more consistent with, with my running and, and solve kind of some of these chronic problems that I have. And I, I talked a little bit about this in my latest blog post up on my website. And I think a lot of my issues are coming kind of from just how my body's aligned, particularly my pelvis. Um, and so I've started working with someone now. Um, I can't like, you know, every three weeks or so, I'm going to see him, and he can hopefully uh, get me all sorted out in, in that regards and, and help solve some of these long, long-term injuries and, and get me running more consistently. I think for if if I was to say kind of what my you know kind of uh, more results orientated goals would be, um, the plan for this year would be to run a 225 or better marathon in also to go under 108 and a half is is a big goal of mine and then i mean the main the main priority uh for triathlon for me is to put together complete races start to finish so to have to have races where i can say yeah that was a good swim a good bike and a good run and and hopefully with that that'll lead to um some of these top sixes and and hopefully crack a podium this year that's amazing now if is there any tips or words motivation you can give it, 
all the age group triathletes out there, uh, what would that be? What could you give them for some, some words of wisdom? Right. So like, I, I don't mean this to sound, uh, like corny or anything, but like, I really do mean it. And that's just to, to never give up. So like, obviously I, like, as we've been speaking here for the last little bit, the, you can, you, you'll have heard that I've had a number of setbacks and disappointments and injuries and, and all this stuff going on. But, um, you know, with, even with all that, um, I'm still here, uh, working away and, and, and chasing my dreams and, and still competing at, at a very high level. And, and that's just cause I never gave up. So, I mean, like we talked about, I, I focused a little bit on a couple questions ago, like, you know, the tail end of my season and how it ended. But, you know, there are for sure performances throughout this year, um, which I'm very proud of, of accomplishing. And that goes all the way back to when I finished third in the Zwift National Championships in February. Uh, I beat Lionel actually in a sprint finish. Uh, that was still the hardest I've ever gone on a bike in my entire life. Um, and then, uh, for, like, throughout the year, they, there were for sure performances that I, I am proud of. In, in Victoria, I was, you know, fifth out of the water and had the third fastest run in the field uh, and was only eight seconds slower on the run than Cody Beals, who won the race, who, as we all know, went on to have a absolutely remarkable season and, and deservedly winning athlete of the year, no question about it. Um, so, and to only be eight seconds slower than him on the run, I, I'm, I'm pretty proud of. Um, and then we talked about like winning those three races in Ontario and, and for sure, great, great performances in that and breaking 15 minutes in the 5k and, uh, running a PR in the half. I'm, I'm very proud of. So like, just to, uh, go back to the original question that got a little bit off track there, but, um, the, the point of all that is, is that despite all those, all those setbacks, I, I've didn't give up and refused to quit. Um, and, you know, for sure over the past, you know, five years or, or whatever, I've had, had moments where, you know, I, I've, I've wanted to give up or I've been close to quitting. Like I, I remember one time I was, when I was at McMaster, I had to, call my mom who's living here in Thornhill like an hour and 15 minutes away and had to call her to get her to drive me to the hospital because I couldn't walk down the stairs. I, I was, I was crawling on the floor because my hip was in, I couldn't put any weight whatsoever on my hip. Um, so for sure there's been some, some low moments and, and moments where I I've, I've said like, why am I, what, what am I doing here? Right. But um, in the end, what, what keeps me going is, you know, it goes back to that, um, the spirit of the marathon documentary all the way back in 2011 and, and, and why I got into this. So the re the reason I got into this was it, it was to push, to push my limits and, um, to take on a challenge that, um, you know, would, would push you to a whole new level uh, mind, body, uh, and spirit. And, and that's, that's what the marathon did for me. And, and, um, so when, when I'm injured, I think back on that and I think back on, well, why did I, why did I get into this, uh, 
into this sport. And it, it wasn't, um, you know, to, to get this result or that result, but it was, it was to push myself to another level. And in the end, injuries are, are, are just part of that process. I mean, like if we really think about it, you know, we're in, in triathlon here, we're in an endurance sport. And if you think about the word, it's, it's to endure, right? I- injuries are, are, are part of it. They're, they're challenges, but in, in the end, it's, you know, you, you just have to keep going and, and, and not quit on things to get to that, uh, to that finish line and, and to feel what that feels like. And I mean, um, I still will never forget that crossing the line in my first marathon there. That was, um, something I've, I've never felt, I've never felt such, um, elation before really. Um, and, and that's, and that's why we're doing it to get to that point. So you, you, you just have to remind yourself of that, of why you originally got into this. Um, and so, I mean, if I could talk just about the, like about injuries specifically, um, you know, the, you know, in terms of things that you can do to, um, you know, get through things because I mean, it, it, mental health is obviously a very important thing. So something that will mentally get you through an injury, uh, is, is, um, really focusing on one thing that you can do each day to make yourself even as small as, you know, half a percent better tomorrow. And, and that will give you this, uh, a, a positive outlook on things, but also it will shift your focus to something that, you know, you can control and, you know, it'll stop you from getting, you know, carried away and, and looking ahead and thinking, Oh, what about that race that I'm not going to get to do? Or, you know, oh, I need to get back so that I can get in shape for this race or that race that brings you back to staying in the moment and, and, and giving you some sense of control over the situation. And that will just give you a better, a, a more positive, uh, outlook on things. And, and I really do think like if you, um, if you're able to stay, you know, mentally strong and mentally healthy throughout, that's going to help you physically as well. I mean, that's, it's well proven, like good mental health carries over into good physical health. So, I mean, um, taking care of that, and taking care of yourself in that way and doing whatever you can to keep yourself positive is really going to uh, pay dividends in the long run. Awesome. Honestly, that's amazing advice. I appreciate you um, giving that to everyone. The, some incredible words of wisdom there. And I think many can appreciate that. And they'll be uh, rooting for you this upcoming season. Um, it's great to hear your backstory. And uh, we have high hopes for you. So, um, Thanks, very much. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, honestly. So we've pretty much covered a lot there. So if listeners want to learn more sort of where they can find your information, like your blog, your training write-ups, where can they go? So I have, um, on like on my Instagram, it's just uh, franksabara92. Um, from there, actually, you can, you can probably get most of my other things. I think I have like links in the bio to uh, my website there, uh, franksabaratriathlete.com. And then Twitter, it's at franksabara and Facebook, same thing. Uh, so it's pretty easy. Once you get to one, you can kind of go to the others from, from that one. 
Awesome. That's perfect. Again, thanks so much. And to listeners, um, if you guys like podcasts like these, then definitely hit that subscribe button. We're very happy to have Frank on. So again, Frank, thanks for coming on and guys, we'll talk to you next time. Mm -hmm.